Welcome to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi. We're still not open yet, but it's getting closer, and now it's time to laugh again. And with us today is one of the funniest guys in all of Las Vegas, Rich Natoli. Interestingly enough, Rich and I grew up a few miles from each other in Northern California, but didn't actually meet until a few years ago. He's one of the best impressionists in town and does unforgettable routines about Jay Leno, Bob Hope, and Johnny Carson, among a long list of favorites. Later in the show, we will talk a little about wine, specifically natural wines with America's first master sommelier, Eddie Osterlin, and natural wine expert, Katie Fox Moore. Let's talk about some fun, huh? We've been talking enough about closures and all the issues that involve the pandemic, but it's kind of fun to get you back with one of our real favorites, and that's Rich Natoli, one of the best impressionists in Las Vegas, or anywhere for that matter. Rich, what are you up to these days? It must be driving you crazy. How about that pandemic? Isn't that something? This is Bob Hope, but I want to tell you. <laughs> I had a pandemic like that since the 40s. But, you know, <laughs> you, know you, wonder, you wonder some of those guys like the old Bob Hope for the world. And they, they, they kind of saw it all, you know, with the wars and the pandemics and all these things. Yeah. So just wonder what they would say today, you know. Yeah. Would Bob Hope all? be uh, entertaining the troops from his uh, from his place in Burbank? <laughs> Uh, hey, listen, trying to keep social distancing from Lonnie Anderson. Now, that's tough, but I want to tell you. And with a Cal Welch. <laughs> yeah, and he'd have to introduce him from another, from a whole other apartment or a house or whatever. It'd be a challenge for him. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. It's like, a, and now we got gas. You got gas prices lower than they've ever been in decades, and you can't go anywhere. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? It's crazy. It really is. And uh, if if I have to see another celebrity sit there and tell me about, like, don't worry, we're with you. We're all going to get through. We know. We know. That went through about two weeks ago. And I think about you sitting there, and I'm thinking exactly what you started talking about. I mean, all those people like George Burns, Johnny Carson, what would they be thinking through this? Because it, it's something that they didn't have to deal with. Yeah, Johnny Carson would go, ah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a pandemic. So I would I would recommend stay in your home. Uh, I have no problem doing that because you see I live in Malibu and I have millions of dollars. <laughs> you know these people, these celebrities have millions of dollars, so they're going, ah, it's okay. I'll just stay home. It's like, yeah, but people can't afford to stay home. <laughs> it's it's the truth, you know. And I wonder where this is going to hit because right now we're seeing stuff that was filmed before. At some point, we're going to run out of things, and there's only so much you can do from your house. Yeah, I mean, how many, how many, how many Chevy Chase movies can you watch? <laughs> yeah, actually, while, not too many. <laughs> after a while, you're going, "Yes, Clark Griswold is an idiot." Let's move on. <laughs> did you see the movie with uh, that with, where uh, with uh, Seth Rogen did about uh, about killing uh, Kim Jong Un? Yeah, did you ever see that? Yeah, oh, that was hilarious. That movie was so hilarious. And now. Oh, <laughs> Oh, that's a whole other thing. You know, I, I think about you sitting there watching stuff on TV because, you know, you're constantly working. I know that you're always looking for new things. These press well, conferences. Well, I, I, vo- I, I, I look at the new voices like there was a line with Seth Rogen when, uh, when, they, when he, was, he had poison on his hand. They were supposed to shake hands with Kim Jong-un. And one of the other guys that worked, the, the other guys over in North Korea, grabbed him and shook his hand, you know. And, 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 you know, he wasn't supposed to. And he walks away, and, and Seth Rogen goes, 
he's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was hilarious. But I love, I love just listening to some of these guys. The, the voices of the new guys, you know? Yeah, well, and, you know, you're always on the lookout, right? And is the key of that, Rich, just finding that, that one peculiar thing that separates them from everybody else, you know, in terms of the way yeah, they sound? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was watching this this report on uh, uh, on the news uh, with um, Chris Wallace. Now, he's a, here's a voice that nobody's really done, but he's totally doable. And he says, I'm Chris Wallace, and this is Fox News. I'm starting to think that the pandemic is coming to an end. You know, and that's how he talks. But he, and he's so doable, but I've never heard anybody attempt to do him. And I thought, I got to do him, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you watch him, he says the exact same things. It's been for years and years now, that Fox News Sunday thing. It's what you just said. He, that's the exact words this guy says every time. Yeah, I remember when the, the night of the election, I remember when he said, when the, the map was lighting up for Trump, you know, and Chris Wallace goes, I'm starting to think that Donald Trump is going to be the president. You know? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Just the way he talks is just so, it's so doable. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I was thinking of those press conferences. Of course, I, I know you do, Trump. Have you started thinking about adding maybe Fauci or uh, or maybe Como? You know, he's doing all those every time from New York. Well, that guy Como, is, you know, I was listening to him the other day. He, 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 he kind of whines a lot. You know, New York is trying their best. <laughs> To do what we have to do. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly it. You got that one down. <laughs> and that's, how, that's how he talks. And, and then we say, Trump, what do you think about, about Cuomo? Listen, uh, Cuomo is a loser. He'll never be a winner. Trump never gets old, right? I mean, he's constantly oh, giving you materials. It's so entertaining. You know, when, when the reporters, whenever they ask him like a dumb question or something, Trump just fires right back at him. You're a loser. Sit down. You're fake news. Sit down. You're fake news. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have we ever had a president that fired at reporters like that? It's amazing. And really, we haven't seen anything like it. I think he probably is the most imitated president, I guess, back to Nixon, which, of course, you're very familiar with as well. Yeah. Well, you know, in politics, the comedy just kind of writes itself. I mean, you know. It's just all you got to do is just wait. <laughs> yeah, right. He's writing your he's writing your act for you. <laughs> yeah, just wait. It's it's and it'll it'll write itself. But uh, it's just amazing, you know. Um, just some of the distinctness of of the voices in in these people is just amazing. You know, it's the same thing with the with the TV and the movie stars and stuff. So you just keep looking for the ones with the quirky vo- voices. Any new ones you've been th- you've been adding? I mean, you talked about Seth Rogen. Any others that you've been kind of working I'm, on? I'm, I'm just you know I'm 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 working on different different ones all the time, and I, I just I just you know I, you try to find you just try to find the ones that have that distinctness in their voice. Um, I go back and forth from politicians to uh, to the to the celebrities, just trying to find the quirky ones. Who who do you like? What are the new ones that you think are quirky? Well, uh, you, you talk about new quirky guys. I mean, some of it is you start watching uh, some of these news shows, you know, and you get a real idea. I mean, I, I imagine there's a whole market going out for, for some of these people on uh, NBC, CBS. You know, you see these people there and this this kind of a play like Rachel Maddow, probably. But again, 
How many people watch Rachel Maddow, too? So that's part of the other issue, I guess. Yeah, you know who disappeared? Remember that guy, Dick Morris? Yeah, what happened to him? I do remember I, I, well, that. You know what? When he, when, he, when, he, when he messed up the election, when Romney ran and against Obama and lost, and, and Dick Morris would always go, you know, he had that distinct voice where he would go up, well, I want to say that Romney is not only going to win, but he's going to win big. And he went, well, Dick, you know, Romney lost. And he went, so sue me. <laughs> that's really what he said. No, no, no. And that's, a, believe me, I, I, I actually spent a, a day at the airport one time with Dick Morris, and that's exactly what he said. And, that's, and it, it's just, you're right. You got, you, boy, you got, you are good with this stuff, I got to say. But part of this, too, Rich, is that you can get the voice down perfectly, but you got to have the comedy to go with it, or otherwise it doesn't work. Yeah, you know, you just tr- try to get a, a few lines, uh, you know, a few lines that, that, like, that somebody would say, you know, like, I was watching Geraldo, you know. Yeah. You know he talks, and he would go, hello, everybody, hello, Geraldo Revere here with the update. You know, he talks like that. And he would say, like, uh, the, you know, he's, he's a macho, he's so macho, the only regret I have about the murder of Osama bin Laden. <laughs> is that it was not carried out by none other than me, Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> you, know, you, know. you know, it's funny. I listen to you, and a lot of this is its not just getting the voice down, but it's that whole pattern that's like a wave to the – You know, I almost picture it in terms of sound, like a wave to these people. And it's kind of like they get on a roll, right? Like both of Morris and Rivera – it's that kind of thing where, and as you talk more, people really get it. Rich Little and I had this conversation one time where we were talking about how the hook, the hook for these different voices is always in the mouth. You know, there's always the hook where the mouth is, whether you're talking out of the front of your mouth, the side of your mouth, the back of your mouth. You know, like Sammy Davis would talk, remember he talked, well, hey, babe, I'm talking <laughs> out of the side of my mouth, you know. <laughs> and Johnny Mathis sings out of the side of his mouth, well, look at me, you know. So th- there's always a hook, and Reagan had that, well, you know, my mouth is always uh, like that. And and so there's always that hook that can be captured in, in your mouth for di- doing these different voices. And Rich Little, he agreed with that, you know. He, he, he yeah. found same to be true. More with Impressionist Rich Natoli in just a moment. If you miss an episode of our show, don't worry. It's archived on our website, VegasNeverSleeps.com. And you can also hear the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, and more. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. We are talking with the great Las Vegas impressionist and entertainer, Rich Natoli. Well, you know, when they have particular facial expressions, like, you know, we, obviously this is audio, so we can't do it. But like Robert De Niro, do you have to do that? Because I imagine when you're doing it, you, you're doing the eyes, too. Or like Peter Falk, how do you do that without having the roving eye? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, 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 it's the it's facial expression and the mouth uh that kind of brings out the voice. It's the strangest thing, you know? Yeah, it really is. You know, it was funny. I saw an, an old interview. I, I like to watch the old Johnny Carson thing sometimes. That's kind of, you know, and it's been kind of boring around here, you know? So I've been watching some of that stuff, and I saw him do an interview with Rich Little, and I always think of you when I think of Rich Little. But back then they were saying, 
comedians tend to be more effeminate. This is going back to Jack Benny. And so by that, I, I don't mean their sexual preference, but really just some of the, the their features and stuff. And if you think about like the way Jack Benny walked, it was more, you know, effeminate. Did you, do you find that? Well, I know what you're saying. And I think, yeah, but what it is, is I think when you're doing comedy, you, you're, you're animated. You know, I think the best comedians are kind of animated because you have energy and you animate yourself on stage. So I think movement wise, yeah, it seems like that because you're just exaggerating everything. You know, like you see a lot of comedians, they're just moving all over the stage a lot of times and they're very animated. And I think that's what probably seems like that, you know. Yeah, and that's even true today because, I mean, just off the top of my head while you were saying that, I'm thinking, well, Eddie Murphy always used to move around a lot. And you think of Chris Rock and the way he talks is sort of exaggerated, but that's part of the appeal. Right, that's part of the appeal. And I think it. I think that's part of what, what kind of sucks the audience into your skits, you know, and what you're doing. Yes. Yeah, so Other than you're just standing there talking, you're you're kind of moving. You know, there there are comedians that just stand there and talk. I mean, Jay Leno does that, but but most most of them have a lot of movement attached to what they're doing. You know. Yeah, you know, you bring up Jay Leno, and uh, <laughs> I think you do the best Jay Leno there is out there, and it's funny because. Well, uh, did you read this in the paper, anybody? Uh, I remember he said to me, you know, Rich, I like a lot of the voices that you do, but when you do me, I don't really think I sound like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because he's on the show with Tim Allen once in a while as, as, a, as a recurring guest star, and uh, every time I hear him, I'm thinking about that. He sounds exa- he sounds more like you than you sound like him. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's gotten to that point. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny how how the just the different voices. I remember a college professor saw my show in the theater when I was in college and he said, isn't it interesting how many voice, interesting voices there are in the world? And I said, yeah, you know, they're really, it really is interesting because people just have such different voices. Like you, you have a distinct voice, you know, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Maggie, welcome to the show. <laughs> you know, I want to hear you do that. I'm, I'm, I know how Jay Leno feels. It's like, oh God, do I sound like that? And then you know, my, I play it for my wife. Because yeah, you sound exactly like that. Oh God. <laughs> well, there was a. You know, there was actually a, there's actually a comedian. He's actually the uh, very big producer director from. He created Jimmy Neutron and director uh, back at the Barnyard on on the movie Back the Barnyard and everything. His name's Steve Odekirk. Steve Odekirk was the only... We worked on the road together as comedians years ago. Steve Odekirk, who's a friend of mine, never did any other comedian but me. He <laughs> didn't impress me, and it was actually very good because I worked with him a lot, and I was going, man, you're the only guy that's ever done me. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it is funny. If, if you hang around... My mom used to watch the old Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas, and one of the guests on all the time was Anthony Newley. You know, and I got to the point as a little kid, I could do Anthony Newley because he just was so unique. What kind of clown am I? <laughs> yeah, that brings it right back, you know. And it was like, you, you know, like you, you do the Johnny Mathis thing, which I think is great. I think a lot of people think they can do Johnny Mathis. You're one of the few that actually can because there's, there's the exaggerated thing, but there's that, there's nuances. And in fact, well, that's the thing. And I think if you can bring out the quirkiness of the voice and just exaggerate it, I mean, that's what, you know, when an impressionist, we're not in it, we're not 
called an impersonator. An impersonator is like, you know, someone dresses up like Britney Spears and then they sound exactly like Britney Spears. They're doing the whole, they become Britney Spears for the entire hour. Impressionists are more quick caricatures of the different uh, stars. So we do, you know, multiple voices, but we're doing quick sketches of these people. You know, it's almost like, like uh, if you have a caricature drawn of yourself, you know, then yes. it's not, it doesn't look exactly like you, but it's an exaggerated version of you. And that's really what an impression is, you know. It brings that smile to your face. I got to figure, I, I look at some of the the old stars you do. I mean, you know, you mentioned the names and it comes blasting out, you know, Sinatra, Bill Cosby, you know, you did Sammy before and so forth, Jimmy Stewart, all that kind of thing. Is it harder I now? Because Bill the- Cosby, Bill Co- when I was a kid, I was a ticket taker at this theater in Northern California and Bill Cosby was playing there. He played there all the time. And Bill Withers was the opening act for Bill Cosby. And there was a Sunday we would do a matinee. They did, he did like Thursday, Friday, two shows on Saturday or two on Friday, two on Saturday, and then two on Sunday, which was the last night. And they would do a three o'clock matinee and then another show at like seven or eight o'clock at night. Right. So, so Bill Withers, this is in the San Francisco Bay area. He didn't show up for the matinee. He did, he forgot there was a matinee on Sunday. Wow. So Cosby just went on. The theater was packed, 3,000 people in the round, you know. Yeah. Cosby goes up there. I'll never forget this. And he goes, I have to tell you that Bill Withers is not in the building. He <laughs> is taking tours of Alcatraz and <laughs> Pier 39 because he did not know there was a show today. So he is a tourist in San Francisco, you see. (laughs) And he did that whole thing, and the crowd was cracking up. And Cosby just did the whole show himself. Wow. What's amazing, they used to do two of them like that. My God, that's unheard of nowadays. Cosby was brilliant. I mean, Bill Cosby, look, with all the bad press he's got, you know, God bless him. But as far as comedians go, there's nobody better. Nobody better. I mean, I saw this guy do... Hour shows, and the next night he would do a whole different hour show, and the ne- next night he'd do a whole nother different. I mean, this guy w- would change up material like I've never seen any comedian able to do. Yeah, because you know? a lot of them, it's it's the same thing. Whether wherever you go, it's you know joke after joke. I went to a couple of comedy acts and they were great, but it literally was like watching a repeat. You know, they don't change. That's exactly right. I mean, he just, he just, he's one of those guys that just keeps, he just creates while he's on stage. More in a moment from Impressionist Rich Natoli. Don't forget, you should follow us on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. 
You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi, and with us today is Las Vegas superstar impressionist and entertainer, Rich Natoli. You know, I saw something really interesting, and I wanted to ask you about it. My last trip to Vegas, when those type of things were open... Uh, the great puppeteer, Jeff, and I'm going to forget his last name now. Uh, Dunham. Dunham. Yeah, Je- Jeff Dunham. So he gets out there and he does his act and people love him. And he goes, I'm going to do 15 minutes now. I'm going to try this out. I'm going to read this. He goes, so it's an extra 15 minutes, so don't complain and uh, see what you think. And this is the way he tried out new material. And I thought, how do you try out new material on audiences? Do you, do you kind of well, like- I think the best way, well, the way that I always do it is I sandwich the new stuff in between the bits that I know will work. So in other words, you do a bit, you get them laughing real good, then you throw out something new. And even if that dies, then you hit them again with a surefire bit that you know works and you get yourself right out of it if the new piece doesn't work. And if the new piece does work, then you know it's a keeper and you do the same thing the next couple of times on stage. If a bit works three times in a row, it's a keeper. Yeah. If okay. it works one out of if it works one out of three, you got to reword something because it's something's wrong. That that's really interesting. Do you record these things and listen back to the response, or do you just kind of know it yourself? You're you're hearing as it's going. I'll usually if I'm doing something new, I'll just re, you know bring my little digital recorder and record it just so I can hear it back later and see what the, you know how the bit worked. You know, sometimes I don't. I can just remember. Oh yeah, that worked. You know. What about uh, things like? Uh, I remember seeing Jack Parr talk about some joke, and I guess he told the joke three different times, and it was about giving his daughter an allowance, and it was the amount of money. You know, The idea was that he had no clue how to give an allowance. He was given the $218, and he said the right number, it had to be like this odd number, like $286 as opposed to $300 or something like that. Is that something with you too, where you got the joke, it's just the, the right word, and you got to find out what that word or that figure or whatever is? Yeah, well, you know, sometimes, ironically with jokes, you know, you want to, you try to do them in threes usually. For some reason, doing jokes in threes seems to work better. So if I'm doing a, if I'm doing a bit on talking celebrity smoke detectors or something, I'll do three. You know, same thing if I'm doing talking celebrity tombstones, I'll do three, you know, because it seems to work better. But yeah, sometimes with a joke, with a line, the joke won't work and you'll go, I know that's funny. But you, if you switch around a couple of words, it, it seems to do the trick, and you can you can make the joke go from not getting a very big laugh to getting a huge laugh just by by rewording it a little bit, you know. Yeah. What do you think about Frank Caliendo? Because I find him he's interesting. Great. Yeah, he's great. He does some great voices, Frank Caliendo. Well, and the fact that it's mostly sports is kind of giving him a different. I mean, he, he, you can see your act and his act, and love them both because they're not going to be the same. Yeah, it's totally different. Yeah, we work totally different. And but you know that's that's what's good. I mean, if you remember, you know, uh, Fred Travellino was great, but he worked totally different than Rich Little. Yeah. You know, and I work I work totally different than than Rich Little. Rich Little's more more low low key, and I'm more high energy and you know rapid fire stuff. Fred Travellino worked more rapid fire, but Rich Little works more a little more laid back. You know, kind of kind of uh, you know a whole different stage approach to to what he's doing. And so, you know, you just do what works for you. You know, Caliendo, um, yeah, he's, I think he's a little more laid back on stage, you know, than I am, but. 
You know, when I think of him, everybody thinks about the John Madden thing. And when we think of you, we think of Jay Leno. Is that like uh, in your profession, is that the thing where you want to get that one that's just everybody connects you with and that opens well, the door to everything? You know what's interesting is back in the, back in the, in the 80s, back in the 1980s, I, I was known for the Chuck Barris impression that I did in my show. Because it was, I could do the you know the most perfect Chuck Barris impression with the hat and the voice and the look and everything. It just everything, and they used to go crazy in the clubs for that voice, and all the comedians, you know, loved it, and and the audiences and everything. So, yeah, and then and then I be, then then they started calling me. I remember Dave Coulier, you know, Dave Coulier yeah. from Full. Dave Coulier used to call me Mr. Johnny Mathis because <laughs> he he like because then it became that. So you, you get those ones that you kind of do that are unique that stand out, and nobody can kind of touch them. And then you you kind of get known in the little circles for that, you know. Yeah, and, and I guess it's important to you too. You're hanging around with Rich Little, and you're hanging around with some of these big stars. You want to have your thing, right? I mean, that's kind of a, a, a matter of pride too. Yeah, you yeah, you know, you, you do, and uh, and I think one of the, one of the ones that that I do that, that Rich Little always liked was, uh, was Robert Wagner. You know, people love Robert Wagner. And if you remember, Robert <laughs> Wagner talks like this. Yeah. I'm, I was on that show called It Takes a Thief, and then I did Heart to Heart. And when I speak, I sound like that. <laughs> that's exactly, oh, that's great. <laughs> and so, and Rich, yeah, Rich Little loved that. You know, and, and so I think that, I think that, uh, you know, as an impressionist, you know, you can pick up another voice from another impressionist if you if you see the hook that they captured. If you're trying to get a hook and you go, I can't find the hook in that voice, so you hear another guy do it and he does it well and he captures that hook, you can learn it that way other than from the original star. And I remember Rich Little telling me when I, I said, you know, you did that great performance on uh, Hawaii Five-0 years ago where he did the James Cagney impression. And Rich Little goes, you know, he goes, I learned that James Cagney impression from Frank Gorshin. Wow. You see? Yeah. Wow. So that's a lot of times that's how we were able to do it, you know? Yeah. Cause if, it, remember, it, if you remember, Dana Carvey would exaggerate George Bush, George Bush Sr. And he would go, and not going to do it, not going to do it, read my lips. And he would <laughs> capture that real exaggeration, you know? And that, that is was the hook to George Bush's voice. Yeah, that's really interesting. So it really is that, and it, you're, it, it gets back to that old Anthony Newley thing, where once you get that kind of that stuff, you know, that, that, that yeah. that's how you can do that. That's Newley, Anthony Newley just always sounded like he was regurgitating his dinner. You know, but <laughs> get the food of my, you know. <laughs> Uh, the Anthony, I know. I know he was considered a major talent. I never quite got it, but I loved hearing guys like you do it. <laughs> it was just yeah, funny. I don't stuff. know. I don't know why he was such. A, he was a big star. I don't know how. Yeah, Jesse. You know, it's really kind of strange. You know, it's like it's like you know when I, when I met Paul Williams. Yeah, you know, Paul Williams, and Paul Williams was was having me do all these impressions on the phone in his hotel suite for a friend of his that we called up and he's going, Oh, do call, you know, do Johnny Carson, do Jay Leno, do all this kind of stuff. And then Paul Williams said to me that night, he said, he goes, let me ask you something. He goes, when you do me, he goes, do you go D after D? And I go, that's exactly what I do. <laughs> I go D after D. I must 
face the world of strangers where I don't belong. I'm not that strong. <laughs> you know, <Wow. laughs> and that's, that's how he sounds. And, but he, he, he asked me if I did him like that. I said, yeah, <laughs> I do. That's great. That is great. One last question, Rich. Yes, sir. I, and we're thinking about opening up Vegas again. It's going to open up, hopefully sooner rather than later. You think there's ever a chance of like a big a big show of doing like the copycats where you get some of the best guys in town and there's some really good ones and you know like you Caliendo Rich Little and bring some of them together and just do that because I think that could be fun and have you guys sit up there kind of the way the guys did from uh, with Jeff Foxworthy and Larry the Cable Guy where they all sit there and talk I would love to see some of the great impressionists do the same thing I, I that's a great idea. I really think we should do something like that at the South Point Hotel, where we brought, where we bring together the, the, all the, the best impressionists of Las Vegas, and we we all get up and do a skit, and then we sit down, you know, like on a you know like in a in a row on chairs, and we do different voices, and we take questions and answers from the audience, and I, wouldn't that be a wonderful? show to do boy that would be great i would love for vegas never sleeps to do that that is fantastic we would and, and the south point is probably a perfect place for something like that too when you think about it we should try to make that happen we, we could, should you, you, we could, sh- you could you could cover it and it would be great because i i really think that uh the audiences would just eat it up they really would well, we'll have to put that in our list of things to do. And in the meantime, hey, Rich, thanks for bringing a smile back to us for a while. We can't wait when you're back out there like everybody else and uh, doing what you do best in front of people. Well, that sounds good. How about that Steve Maggi? It needs something, but I want to tell you. <laughs> Thank you so much, buddy. Thanks, Rich. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Have you been diagnosed with lung cancer or mesothelioma? Did you spend your life working hard in a shipyard or in the railroad industry? Were you a pipe fitter in the oil or gas industry? Or maybe you worked in construction or you're a proud Navy veteran. If you worked in any of these industries, it's a high likelihood you worked around or near asbestos in your lifetime. And if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer or mesothelioma, you may be entitled to significant compensation. Our attorneys have been fighting hard for years to win our customers the compensation they're entitled to for their pain and suffering. So if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer or mesothelioma, call right now for help. This commercial is paid for by Airtime Media, and I'm a non-attorney spokesperson. 800-814-5077-800-814-5077-800-814-5077. Again, that's 800-814-5077. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Well, as we stay home and perhaps enjoy a bottle of wine, America's first master sommelier, Eddie Osterlin, and I would like to introduce you to a different type of wine. You ever heard the term natural wine? I hadn't before, but we have a fascinating guest. Her name is Katie Foxmore. What is natural wine? What does that actually mean? It talks about wines that use minimal intervention. Um, That begins in the farm, in the vineyards, with farming. So we're looking for wines that are farmed without using any synthetic um, chemicals like pesticides, herbicides, or fungicides. Usually with uh, organically farmed, dry farmed, um, biodynamically farmed. And then we are, are looking for wines that are made with native yeast versus cultured yeast. And then it moves a little bit farther down into the winemaking in that um, no intervention, no additives, basically, is what most of the winemakers we work with 
um, do. Yeah, explain what dry farming is. So dry farming is um, basically utilizing the amount of natural rainfall that happens within your vineyard. So there's Without no irrigation. irrigation. Mm. Um, so in drier areas, it forces the roots to sort of dig down into the ground to search for water. And then with that, you end up getting more um, minerality in your wines because they've literally searched so far down that they're picking up all the different um, minerals along the way. How about explaining biodynamic wines? Biodynamics was um, was started by Rudolf Steiner in 1928. He was um, an Austrian. He had a bunch of different interests, but one of his interests was healing the earth. And in this, he believed in seeing land as a sort of ecosystem. So in application to a vineyard, you treat the vineyard as a whole. So you're, they're using like farm animals to kind of plow, do the plowing. They have nine different... Um, I forget what they're called, but they, it's basically like um, applications that they give to the soil. And within biodynamics, you use these different applications to, um, at different times of the year, they use a seasonal calendar, a lunar calendar. And so they'll plant on a full moon or harvest on a full moon. You know, Eddie was telling me before that sometimes this stuff can look kind of funky. <laughs> Is that a problem? It's, it's a pretty to- controversial subject. The wine itself or the concept itself? I think the wine itself, people are scared of, of natural, of natural wines. wines or well, tell, tell them what nat this and that, that. A majority <laughs> of the wines are unfiltered and unfined. So when you have a consumer base that's been used to clar- you know, seeing clarity for all these years, and they didn't know that wine initially comes out of the barrel looking cloudy and there's a process to make it nice and clear, they don't understand why the wine looks like this. So it it automatically looks wrong. And as much as we don't realize it, a lot of our... Our appreciation of wine starts with our eyes. It's it's very visual right off the uh, right off the bat. So, you know, you have these wines that are cloudy, and then when you taste them, there's a different textural component to them. They're really super natty ones, like the ones that you know have kind of like have the absolute least minimal intervention. They kind of have like a nutty profile to them because the leaves are still in the bottle. You still have the yeast kind of hanging out in there. Um, so tell them, you know, what are leaves and, and why, you know, why they add funkiness. So leaves are basically dead yeast cells and the rest of like the different enzymes that might fall through through the wine. Um, and leaves give off a nutty, like toastiness to a wine. You're, you're probably used to tasting it if you have champagne, um, because champagne is aged on the leaves for a year and a half, and other wines are also aged on the leaves, but maybe you didn't recognize that flavor before or something specific to champagne, but it's also very prominent in natural wines. Has the uh, wine lover kind of accepted this? I mean, is, is it growing in popularity? Because I would imagine it's a big change from what uh, the user is used to. If we talk about consumers, I think some people are becoming more aware. They're starting to ask more questions. Of course, this is what our bar does. So I can only operate from within our own clientele base, and we are a neighborhood bar, but our neighborhood is on board, absolutely. We have a wine club, we have a lot of supporters, we have regulars who come in, they're excited about it. Um, They like the idea of drinking cleaner, because for a very long time, for like the last 20 years, everyone's talked about eating cleaner and eating foods that don't have pesticides and and herbicides in them, but no one thought that, how are wines made? How How are our cocktails and beverages made? And now people are starting to ask, so it seems to me, Katie, that people really need 
you to kind of explain it because there's going to be an initial like, whoa, what's wrong with that? It's, mm-hmm. right? So I guess as the natural wine movement grows and so forth, there's going to need to be more people like yourself that can really explain this stuff and tell them this isn't medicine you have to take. It's very good. It's just a different way of thinking. Yeah, I mean, you get to first start with your eyes. Just don't let the cloudiness throw you off. <clears throat> because your eyes judge the wine. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at a Pinot Noir and you see through it, people right away are taking points off because it doesn't have that nice color. Mm-hmm. They put them in black glasses. Riedel, Riedel sells them. I don't know if you use them in your wine bar, no, but, but, that's an idea. but I, I have them at home and I use them from time because I don't want someone to look at a wine if it's cloudy or, or if it's light colored. I want them to taste it and the eyes just can really throw you off. So black glasses are really... Well, f- Touching on that, a majority of the producers we work with use clear glass for their bottles. There's, there you go. When we talk about transparency in winemaking, I think that's been one of the major foundations of the natural wine movement is knowing what you're drinking, how it's being made, and stepping back from anyone who doesn't want to offer that transparency. And I, I see it literally with the bottles because they're all clear. So you see you see it all. And I point out the, the leaves at the, bottom, at the bottom, hanging out the bottom of the bottle, and I'm like, look, there they are. And I'm like, so we can do two things. We can pour the bottle, and you can just drink the wine off the top of it. When you get to the end, you guys can dare each other to take the shot. Or we can just mix it up in the whole bottle, add the texture to all of the wine, and then you can see how it folds in. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Eddie. And thank you for listening today. Don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Have a great weekend and stay safe. This is Stephen Maggi who will soon be reminding you once again that Vegas never sleeps. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. The IMDb summary gives you an idea of the troubling territory that Monsters Ball inhabits. A racist prison guard re-examines his attitudes while falling in love with the African-American wife of the last prisoner he executed. Who would want to see that? You do. Uncompromisingly, the film introduces us to its characters as the despicable beings they are. True, terrible things happen to them. But we cannot help but know that the unpleasant nature of their lives has been brought upon them by their own attitudes and actions. And then, through the course of the film, we enter the lives of our protagonists. We learn where they have come from, and a fragile empathy emerges. This film works despite all conventional wisdom in no small part through masterful acting. Halle Berry, Heath Ledger, Billy Bob Thornton, and Peter Boyle all play understated one minute and chew the scenery the next, contributing masterfully. A viewer will also dearly appreciate the respect that the storytellers have for their audience. There is a moment toward the end where the film calls out for a Hollywood on-screen resolution of a conflict newly introduced. Here, however, the filmmakers allow the moment to fade without condescendingly feeding the audience its resolution. At that moment, Monster's Ball becomes perfect. Indie Film Minute. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental.